there's no such thing as a billion dollar idea anymore. It's, it's really the execution. And we happen to pick an industry that is very low gross margin, low average order value. You know, we sell a bottle of coffee for $1.65. After our cost of goods, we're making 50 cents on that thing. And you got to sell a lot of coffee to make money. And it's very manual. It's hardware. You know, we're putting product on shelves in 50,000 stores every single week. So despite momentum and strong consumer demand and sentiment, it's still all about execution. A boss babe is unapologetically ambitious and paves the way for herself and other women to rise, keep going, and fighting on. She is on a mission to be her best self in all areas. It's just believing in yourself. Confidently stepping outside her comfort zone to create her own vision of success. Welcome to the Boss Babe Podcast, the place where we share with you the real behind the scenes of building successful businesses, achieving peak performance, and learning how to balance it all. I'm Danielle Canty, president and co-founder of Boss Babe, and today, one of your co-hosts, Natalie and I, uh, were actually in Austin together recording this episode, which was so fun. And just a little reminder that if you're listening on audio, amazing, but we are also now on YouTube. So if you want to actually watch us, if you want to see us in the flesh and all the things, then make sure you head over to YouTube and you can subscribe there too. So I want to tell you a little bit about this episode because it was really, really fun and also really insightful. You know, you guys, we love to keep these episodes real, but also practical. And if you're like me, maybe have this entrepreneurial mindset where you wander the aisles of shops, whether it's your grocery shopping or your food shopping or your makeup shopping, any of those things. And when you're picking out brands, maybe you wonder like, oh, I wonder about the founder of these. Most founders now put their pictures out there too. They have their own personal brands, particularly in the makeup line. A lot of the founders are featuring themselves. But for me, I'm always really curious around what's the journey? What's the journey of these huge multi-million dollar brands and billion dollar brands? And we've been so fortunate to have such incredible founders on here. And today is no different. We actually have Jimmy DeSico on, who is one of the co-founders of Super Coffee. He actually founded this with his two brothers and they have built Super Coffee into a household name. You guys, it's absolutely huge. It's the third bottled coffee sold in the US following Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, which is absolutely incredible, but I'm really excited for you to hear his journey. The fact that he hadn't had experience building a billion dollar company before you guys and what it's taken, like what it's been like to start out. So if you've ever wondered how you start, how you go from selling your coffee in one store to being in hundreds, you're going to get those answers. If you've ever wondered like, hey, how do you get these A-list celebrities like JLo and Aaron Rodgers to invest in your brand? You're going to find out. If you've ever wondered what it's like to have the pressures of investors. You're going to find out in this episode. If you've ever wondered, what a day in the life of a CEO running a half billion dollar company on its way to a billion dollar valuation looks like, you're going to find out. Like I said, we keep it real and practical. So this is such an incredible episode, you guys. I know you were going to love it. Jimmy was so open, so generous with his knowledge, his insights, and all the things. So when you love it, because I know you will, please make sure you tag myself at Daniel Canty, tag at bossbabe.inc, and tag at I am Natalie with your favorite parts. And then don't forget when Jimmy shares his handle, make sure you, you know, just give him a shout out. And if you love super coffee, definitely DM him. I know you guys, let's dive right in. Okay, Jimmy, so you started a company seven years ago and it is now worth over half a billion dollars. Casual. Starting off hot. Let's go. (laughs) So speaking of that, I want to go all the way back because you run this company, you founded this company and run this company with your brothers. What was your dynamic like growing up? 
it was it was very competitive, right? It, the good news is, like when we played sports, we were usually on the same teams, but in the backyard, we were mano y mano. <laughs> so we got to compete with each other, against each other, on the same team. And at the end of the day, we always had each other's back. You know, whoever won the game of one-on-one basketball in the backyard, like okay, maybe the the loser was sore for for a little bit, but we were still brothers. You know, and I think that is it creates a really unique dynamic for business where at the end of the day, win, lose, go home. Like we, we still love each other. We still trust each other. We still got each other's back. So like, there's no pressure from each other to do this because we know we, we always have each other. And I think that's a rare built-in trust, you know, that like not, uh, you guys are amazing friends, best friends who, who run this company together. But like, I have 27 years mm-hmm. of that with my two brothers, you know, and it's just built in. Yeah. Did you have that entrepreneurial spirit growing up? I think so. I mean, like we, we weren't great students, you know, so it's not like math or science or anything like that came easy to me or, or my brothers. So we were always looking for scrappy ways to do things. It's not like we were like, we were selling stuff like yard sales and lemonade stands as kids, but we did things differently. You know, we started clubs in high school. We were the captains of our sports team. So I think leadership came naturally and, and that's what's enabled us to grow over the last couple of years. I'm super curious, like what about your childhood do you think led you down that path of leadership? Like, was your mom always encouraging it or? Yeah, mom and dad were athletes in college. So sports is a big part of our identity. And Mm -hmm. on teams, like my dad, I'll never forget when he dropped me off at my first football practice when I was eight years old, he was like, be the first person to the water cooler, which in my, it didn't register. I was like, okay, be the first person to the end zone, win every sprint, that type of thing. But his point was hustle in everything that you do. And that really stuck with me as an eight-year-old. So like I was the crazy kid on the field just running all over the place. They're like, that dude's got to chill out. <laughs> and I think that translated into to a lot of different and, and sports gives you confidence. It gives you it gives you teamwork and communication skills, you know, to bring a team together for a, a collective goal is really translates to entrepreneurship pretty nicely. Do you remember the moment where the idea for Super Coffee was born? Yeah, so it was actually my youngest brother Jordan's idea. He was a freshman in college, and we had just tried bulletproof coffee, coffee with the butter and the MCT oil. Oh, we love that. Dave Asprey's. Yeah. And and back in 2015, it was just a recipe. You know, it's like a blog. And we were like, whoa, this feels great. For for anybody who's ever tried it, there's a visceral, like you feel it through your brain, like like no other cup of coffee we've ever had. So Jordan was drinking that before practice because he didn't want to drink a Starbucks Frappuccino that had 40 grams of sugar in it. And when, when you put the butter in the, when you make the bulletproof coffee and you put it in the fridge, the butter congeals. Mm-hmm. So he got rid of the butter. He added protein instead. And he added monk fruit, an all-natural sweetener, because he wanted it to taste good. And he was like, I created this coffee. It works so well for me. My teammates are drinking it every day. I think we could go sell this stuff. And that, that was really it. So wait, he was making it home, then telling his teammates about it. They were like, yo, Jordan, can you get us this coffee? <laughs> And that's yeah, how it began. Totally. So he he would bring it to practice. And like his teammates noticed that he had more energy than he usually did. And so he started selling it to them. He would go to CVS and buy the ingredients and make it in his dorm room and sell it to them. And then he, he actually did some research while he was a, a freshman and was like, bottle coffee categories, two and a half billion dollars. The Starbucks Frappuccino does two billion. There are no healthy alternatives. It's a, it's a big category, but it's really controlled by one main player. Yeah. So Jordan was how old at this time? He was 19. Okay, there's a big jump between like selling homemade coffee to your teammates 
and building a half a billion dollar company. So like, what were the conversations? Because he wasn't even at the same college as you guys, right? Right. So he, it was a big family feud, not family feud, but like big family Mm -hmm. conversation in the summer between his freshman and sophomore year. Because he was a starting point guard. He was a full scholarship player. And he called us up and said, hey, this coffee thing has legs, but I can't be a full-time student athlete and make it work. I'm dropping out of school to start a company. And for me, like my, my big brother instincts kicked in and I was like, I can't let you do this alone. You know, you're giving up a lot here. I'm going to come supervise for a little bit, make sure this thing gets off <laughs> on the right track. And seven years later, I'm still, still here. But yeah, he, he realized that there was a big opportunity for it. And he knew that in order to make it work, it couldn't be a side hustle. It had to be a full hustle. But I'm really curious because Jordan's like, okay, I'm dropping out of college to do this. Did you have business expertise that made you think, oh, yeah, I'll come and help. I can make this a success. (laughs) Or were you like, I'm just really curious about that mindset. Like that to me is kind of like that confidence to be like, okay, I'm going to jump onto this as well. Yeah, I think it was a naive optimism. You know, like we didn't. (laughs) I think we all need that. (laughs) Totally. I mean, twenty. I was 22. Jake was 21. Jordan was 19. And had we known how difficult this was going to be. I think we would have thought twice about it. But you back then, you read the headlines. Vitamin water sells to Coke for $4 billion. Honest Tea gets acquired. Buy sells to Dr. Pepper for $1.7 billion. And we're like, we could do this. This beverage seems like a, 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 a great doesn't opportunity. doesn't seem too hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're putting liquid in a bottle. We got to put that bottle on shelves and we got to get people to buy the stuff. And is really, I mean, it, it all started with like understanding what that metric was. And for us, it was velocity, a rate of sale per store. The more bottles per store you sell, the better business you have. So we're like, great, let's make coffee. Let's put it on the shelves. Let's pour samples. Let's sell a lot of it. I think there's something to be said for that naive optimism because you often do things that a lot of people with experience would look at and say, oh, that's a terrible idea. So for example, you talk about just going straight to Whole Foods versus like testing too much. Whereas there might be people that, you know, are very seasoned and are like, we need to do testing and we need to do all these phases. Whereas when you're naive, you're like, well, fuck it. What's the worst that's going to happen? Right. Totally. And I think, I think that's what it, what it was. Like, not only were we naive and optimistic, we were, I'd say impatient, you know, we, we wanted to, to, to grow and like, there was no test and learn opportunity for us. We, we showed up at Whole Foods in Washington, DC, where, where Jake went to college. And we said, we found the store manager of one store. We had no idea what the process was. We went to one <laughs> store, this guy was like putting beans on a shelf and we're like, Hey man, we're, we're super coffee and you guys don't sell anything like this. And he tried it. He was like, this, this is pretty good. You know, he's like, you guys go to school down the street, bring your college students in here to my store and I'll give you guys a chance. And Wait, so was he a manager or was he just stacking the shelves at this point? He was a manager. Okay, just checking. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we talked to a few shelf stockers before we found that guy. And so he gave us a shot. He knew that we were going to bring college students up to his store. And for for us, like you give us an inch, we take a mile, right? <laughs> that one store, we didn't leave that store for a week. We were there every day pouring samples. In the first four hours at that store, we checked in with the manager. His name was Derek Gruber. We said, Derek, how, how are we doing, man? Like, is the product selling? He's like, you guys broke my weekly st- sales record in four hours. So wow. that that's where we, we get back to this idea of like inch wide, mile deep, really controlling what you can control. If that If we only had one store, all of our effort was going into that store. Let's talk about that concept. You know, inch, inch wide, mile deep. Talk to us about that, what, what that's meant to you in building the business. I, the, all that means is focus, you know, and as, as a startup, as, as 
really with anything in life, you only have so much time, energy, and focus to give. And I think it's tempting for, for young founders and young entrepreneurs to say yes to a lot of opportunities, right? Like in, in our first year, Ralph's in California wanted to launch Super Coffee. We met them at a trade show. They were like, let's, let's bring it out there. We didn't have people in California. We didn't have a marketing budget. Nobody knew us, you know? So inch wide, mile deep was we got into that one store. We, we became the best-selling bottle of coffee in that store. We took that sales data to the store right down the block, you know, mm. steps away. And we said, hey, we're breaking records up the street. You guys give us a shot. We can do that here as well. And that's how it went for the first 18 months. We went to the second store. Like we owned a neighborhood. Then we took over the city. Then from DC, we went to Baltimore and then to Philadelphia. And we've really dedicated all of our resources to those disciplined geographies that we set. And so was your conscious decision let's get into stores and let's do it this way versus let's figure out online marketing and do it online? Yeah. So at the time, like we, that was over our heads. You know, we didn't know e-com. We didn't know, like, like I said, it was, it was a simple industry. It just wasn't easy in terms of like, put liquid in a bottle, hope that it tastes good, put it on the shelf and, and sell it. So like for us, we could sort of muscle our way through that. We didn't have the finesse or the nuance to, to do e-com. I think another tricky thing for us is that beverages are low margin and heavy to ship. So we, we talk a bunch today in 2022 about if we were to start the company today, how would we do it differently? And 10 out of 10 times, e-com first, you know, build up that loyalty, yeah. test, get that feedback. It's a national distribution footprint from, from day one. And I think figuring out the pricing to make sure that the margin works. Yeah. And I imagine, so it's, you know, formulate this product, put it in a bottle, but there must be so much more that goes into it. My mind is like, well, how are we paying for this? This is so expensive. From the get-go, how did you think about things like that? Yeah, so we we didn't have any money. Like our we didn't come from money. So mom and dad couldn't invest. So we we reached out to some aunts and uncles and and some friends of friends and we we ended up raising like $100,000 in our first year. And we used that money to rent a delivery van. We put stickers on the van. We bought some bottles. We bought some coffee. We never paid. We didn't pay ourselves for the first two years. I the used to first say, two years. First two years. I think that's a really important point to put out to a lot of founders because yeah. I feel like a lot of founders are like, oh yeah, I'm going to raise this money and pay myself a hundred thousand first. Yeah. So you were like, none of you earn any money for two years. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an exceptional situation because we didn't have girlfriends. We didn't have mortgages. We didn't have mm -hmm. families to support, you know. Young like, kids straight out of college, right? Totally. Used yeah. to living on nothing. Right. The three <laughs> of us lived in one bedroom. You know, we I, I sold beer at Ravens games on the weekends. You know, I got to make 300 bucks a game. I was like, that was my cash for the week. Mm -hmm. And that, so once we, once we were able to raise that money and turn it into product, we proved out a sales story. We, we, we took that rep, that cash. We became the best selling bottle of coffee in certain markets. And then that was the sequence to raise the, the next round. It was, Hey, Mr. And Mrs. Investor, we just raised a hundred grand. We turned it into the best selling product in these stores. If you give us a million dollars, we could do that in the entire city of DC, right? Mm -hmm. And if you give us 5 million, we could do it in Philadelphia too. And I mean, today we've raised 185 million over the last seven years, but all by hitting those milestones that we set out. I think it's super important to deliver upon what you say you're going to deliver on. And as you build up that track record, people have more confidence in, in backing you. What do you think are some of the most important, like raising 185 million? Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do. What are some of the important things or lessons that you've learned along the way for that? I think 
building up the the track record, you know, and, and you don't have that track record from day one. So in the early days, be scrappy. You know, we took money. We said friends, family, and fools, whoever was willing <laughs> to give it to us because we didn't have sales data. We didn't have proof of concept. We didn't have any of that. We had three kids with a, a sort of starry-eyed passion and, and a relentless work ethic. And, and so our early investors invested in us, right? They say they yeah. bet on the jockeys. And then as you prove it out, and this is why inch wide mile deep is so, so important because if we took that hundred thousand and we spent a little bit in DC and New York and California, the story wouldn't be that as strong as it was in those 20 stores, you know? So I think having the discipline to, to really prove, meet the milestones that you say you're going to meet is important. And then communication and follow-up, you know, raising money is just networking and sales. It's, I mean, for every hundred conversations I had, two people said yes. You know, mm-hmm. I was with you guys in California this summer. Remember I, t- yeah, I took that, that yeah. investor pitch. I had our first call with our Series C investor and it was at Danielle's. We were out there hanging out and that, that guy ended up leading our round a couple months later. Wasn't that really early in the morning? Yeah, like 6 a.m. or yeah, something. Yeah, 6 a.m. We got yeah, your dedication to like raising in that story has been like, I think a lot of people take that for granted. They're like, oh, I'm going to speak to these five people and they're all going to invest. Like, how have you dealt with rejection on that journey? I think... It's kind of like stubborn optimism at that point. Not not, not mm-hmm. naive, but it's like, fine, if you don't believe in us, I'm going to go find somebody who does, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think that comes with a certain confidence in yourself, a certain belief in yourself, because it is discouraging, right? If enough yeah. people tell you no, you start to question like, is this really a good idea? You know, is this going to work? And what, in some cases, the answer is no, it's not a good idea, right? And for, for founders who are, are excited about things. So that's a tricky balance is having that self-awareness, but also that self-confidence, you know? That's the thing when you know yourself so well and you know your work ethic, you know the work ethic of your brothers and now your team. When someone says no, you internally know, I'm going to work until I make this happen. I'm not I'm not going to fail. I'm going to work and make it happen. But going so going back to that work ethic and focus that served you so well in the beginning, how has that changed as your company's grown? Because it's so easy to be focused in the beginning when there's just a few of you and you're like, okay, this is the path. But as you scale and expand, there's, I'm sure, opportunities coming to you every single day. Let's expand here. Let's do this. How do you stay focused and keep your team focused? Yeah, it's a, gr- it's a great question. And it's honestly become one of the hardest p- parts of our job, because especially nowadays with everything at our fingertips, you know, with crypto and NFTs and social media. It's like, we want to launch a merchandise store. We want to launch a loyalty program with NFTs, but all mm-hmm. things that are like cool ideas and and we may do down the road. But at the end of the day, we sell bottled coffee. You know, it's a simple, it's a simple industry. And I think when things get distracted, we just refocus on that. We sell coffee. Our coffee tastes good and it's good for you. It's a really simple game. And our team is built around that, that idea of selling bottled coffee. You know, so it's, it's tough. Again, that's the hardest part, you know, like people want us to do energy drinks and creamers and, and breakfast bars. And like, we want to do that too. But the value of our company comes on the performance of our core bottle coffee line. Yeah. You must look at a lot of companies and see what they're doing and think, oh, that's a cool idea. I wonder if we could do that. Or I'm guessing you have customers emailing you constantly saying, can you do this? Because I know if you did it, it would be so much better. Totally. So like, do you just have kind of like 
a mission statement of coming back to this? Do you constantly rally your team, your executives behind it? How do you keep coming back to it? I'm asking selfishly because our company is so much smaller than yours. And every day I'm seeing what other people are doing. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So it's a good, it's a really good question. And, and let's stay on this for a minute because like everybody has an opinion, especially in the early days. Like your label should be this color or your name should be that or you should add adaptogenic ingredients. And, and the moment you begin to listen to take advice from or listen to all of those opinions is the moment you compromise. So I think you have to have several non-negotiables. For us, we were always going to be sugar-free and we were always going to taste good. Like flavor, flavor is still the number one purchase driver, right? Over function. And then the final piece was we we're going to provide functionality, you know, and we wanted to be more for the Walmart customer than for the Whole Foods customer. You know, we wanted to appeal to the masses. And I think when you stay true to those principles, like it starts with a broad statement up top, like we exist to mass produce positive energy. We got to be sugar-free. We got to add functional ingredients. We got to taste good. It becomes like you, you narrow it down to certain things that you can only say yes to, right? Like mm. you, there's stuff that you can't, that doesn't fit within those guardrails that you have to say no to. Same thing with culture and culture is culture happens no matter what, right? Like culture happens just from who you guys are, who, from who we mm. are. And the bigger you get, the more remote your team becomes, you have to be crystal clear with your values, putting those on paper and living those. But the values are an extension of us, you know? So once you, once you establish those values, you have to protect them. So not only do you, Mm -hmm. not only do you attract people who also share those values, if somebody violates those values, that can't be tolerated either, right? Because culture is what you tolerate too. So I think being clear, setting those guardrails, and leaving enough flexibility to to have a little fun, like almost like a test and learn opportunity. No, I was gonna say I love that. It's like really important with the values. Like we've had our values written down from the get-go. Everyone who comes into our company knows what we stand for, who we are, what we tolerate and what we don't. So when you speak about tolerating values and you know, culture is what you tolerate. It's so true because that's the thing. If you give someone an inch, they might take a mile and all of a sudden your culture runs away from you. So what things have you done or what decisions have you made that have helped you come back to that core culture, those core values? Yeah. So for us, to to your guys' point, you have to be crystal clear and you have to remind people often. And it's not about putting words on a wall and saying, we believe in integrity and respect and trust. You know, it's about living living and embodying them. So we we worked with our creative op- chief creative officer to, to capture our, our culture in an acronym called COACH, which is fitting because we're all mm-hmm. athletes and we all need to be coached, you know, and, and we all have something to teach and offer. So we're all coaches in that regard too. So COACH just stands for curious, always asking questions, optimistic, right? We believe in a better future and we, we, we're willing to put in the work to create it. Ambition, we're not going to sell our company to Coca-Cola. We're going to go buy Coca-Cola. Mm. A little crazy, but still ambitious, right? I believe that's happening. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Compassionate, treat all people with love. And then humility, right? We always have something to learn. We always have something to improve on. And that is captured in coach. And now what we do is we refer to everybody as coach. I'll be like, Natalie, what's up, coach? How are you doing today? Mm. And every quarter, our, our team is measured against those coach values. And I mean, for the most part, they're table stakes, right? If you don't live those values, you probably don't belong at Super Coffee in yeah. the first place. And then there's, there's always opportunities of how each of us can work to improve them. And that's so important. I want to come back for a second to the SKUs and the product line. Cause like, you know, you were talking about, okay, people are asking us like create a bar, 
for me on the outside as like a consumer, I'd be like, yeah, I already know and trust the brand Super Coffee. Um, I drink it so it would make sense to buy a bar and I would assume already that it's going to taste cool, like really nice. I'm going to enjoy it, etc. So what has been that conversation behind the scenes and why haven't you done that? Because I feel like that is something that a lot of founders go through. Well, I already have the audience. So why don't I add this? Because it's going to make me more profits and more money. Yeah. So I think for us, and we've have, we have some pretty strong advisors from the food and beverage industry around the table, and the the consensus is one one skew that does two hundred million in sales is worth more than five skews that do forty million in sales, right? Mm. Or four skews that do fifty million. And remembering that is important because it's it's relatively easy to get to fifty million in sales. It's extremely difficult. Very few brands make two hundred million in sales, and we're not even halfway there yet. Like we're we're still working our way towards that. But getting back to the most important metric in our industry, velocity, mm-hmm. and how many people are buying your product per week, how many people are coming back, repeat purchase, lifetime value, right? And to have that on one core product line is more valuable than having smaller smaller loyalists on, on smaller product lines. So that doesn't mean you can't expand. It just means that you have to have a lead horse and then every adjacent category that you expand into sort of complements where, where you started. Love that. That's so powerful. And I feel like I wanted you to share that because I think a lot of young founders will see things differently. Like, oh, okay, I've got some like, I'm seeing these sales really improve. So I want to add to it. So I think just like really like leveraging one product and getting really good at that um, and perfecting it. How has your formula changed over the years? Has it changed at all? Yeah. Yeah. So we're always evolving and always improving. And the cores always stay the same. Sugar-free, all natural sweeteners, protein, MCT oil. So like we want to be the healthy alternative and we want to taste good. But there's so much within those within those guardrails, there's so much we can do to improve with the flavor systems, the type of protein we use. We just launched a plant-based line. And the bigger we get, the more resources we have, the better food scientists we can work with, you know, the better manufacturing partners we can team up with. So every six months, our formula changes and our loyalists will notice. They'll hit mm-hmm. us up for, through customer experience and be like, hey, did you change mocha? And <laughs> like, ultimately, they like it. But at the same time, it's 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 never like that. That we call it renovation is never never ending, and it's really testament to your focus as well because your product is just so good. Just <laughs> fundamentally, you. it is so good. It I don't know. I think sometimes you see products that let's just say a random protein bar, right? And it's got this amazing packaging and it looks like a cake and you're like, this is going to taste like a cake and it's going to be good for me. You read the ingredients and it's full of crap and then you taste it and you're like, this tastes nothing like cake. Whereas your product does what it says it's going to do. I remember the first time I ever tried it, I couldn't believe how good it was. And I guess that would never have happened had you decided to do multiple SKUs and like continue expanding in multiple different ways versus going the distance, which I would say most people don't do and aren't willing to do, but go the distance and say, let's make this the best product that it could possibly be. Was that a conscious thing of totally. sticking? Yeah. Thank you. That testimonial is like, I'm just sitting over here smiling. <laughs> My brother, Jordan handles all the R and D and ops. Okay. So Jordan, be- you're freaking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that is, it's super intentional, right? Cause we're competing with things that have 45 grams of sugar in them and 45 grams of sugar tastes great. No matter who you are, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, like it, the other thing about 45 grams of sugar, it is more than any adult male should have in a day, you know? So like that it's as 
Starbucks is designed for flavor first. Same thing with Dunkin' Donuts. You know, there's no function there. There's nothing good for you other than that dopamine rush you get. It doesn't even give you energy because it's diluted with so much milk and sugar. So for us, we want to taste like that, but we want to empower you and give you the function you need to have a productive day. So flavor and function are are non-negotiables. It's also an important note too, because function can come from a lot of things, you know, and we all subscribe to self-improvement, you know, like I'm down to try any type of ashwagandha, adaptogen, mushroom, you know, if if somebody's like, try this elixir, it's going to make you live longer. I'll probably drink it. But that doesn't appeal, that doesn't necessarily appeal to the masses, especially if you have to pinch your nose to tolerate it, Mm. right? So we, we, what we're doing is just like, we're providing that functional benefit through things like MCT oil and monk fruit, but we're, we're sort of, we're ignoring the education component by saying this tastes good. You know, people purchase with their, their, their flavor. Like they, they, they purchase with their mouths, you know, and and it needs to taste good. They're not going to like when we're selling at Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas, they're not really concerned about medium chain triglycerides. They're like, does this taste like Starbucks? And is it within the same price range? Let's take a minute to talk about one of my favorite educational platforms, Masterclass. I have been referring back to this platform for years, and I love that you can simply log in and take inspirational classes from world-class coaches, no matter where you are. If you haven't explored Masterclass yet, go to masterclass.com slash boss babe and scroll through some of the categories. I think you'll really love what you see. One of the latest classes I tuned into was Anna Winter's class on creativity and leadership. She takes you into her office as Vogue's editor-in-chief and it was so inspiring to learn about her leadership style, team culture, and how she encourages creativity in her team. Not only does Masterclass have tangible business development classes that you can watch at your desk or listen to on the go, but it also includes classes in 10 other categories ranging from food, home and lifestyle, music, wellness, design, and so much more. There are over 200 classes to choose from with new classes added every month. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Plus, Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash boss babe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash boss babe, masterclass.com slash boss babe. Is there a conscious decision to not, because I've never even thought about that, but you're right, you can either go the education route or you can lead with, like, this tastes good, or the, the function, like the basic reason someone would buy was there a reason you didn't go the education route and have you ever been tempted to list out this what all the amazing things do for you or did you just assume hey the buyer that knows that stuff or is interested in that stuff will recognize it and leave it at that yeah so certainly that but initially we came out super hot with medium chain triglycerides ketogenic like all of the buzzwords that that sort of resonate within that community and it worked. That was low-hanging fruit for the keto audience, the CrossFitters, the the people who shop at Whole Foods and Erewhon. But it didn't work for people who who didn't care so much about that mm-hmm. stuff. Like people mainly care about flavor, energy, and price. You know, so we we shifted our messaging to say this tastes like a Starbucks Frappuccino and it doesn't have any sugar in it. Do you think that's important for young founders who are just starting their companies to have different messaging at different stages of their company? Because it sounds to me like, you know, right from the get-go, it was like, okay, this is like keto-friendly and that's a very like 
audience who is looking for those buzzwords to buy from. And then like you say, as you're going to the masses, you have to change that messaging. Yeah, yeah. Because the keto audience still adopts Mm -hmm. super coffee and there's still subtle cues. Like we'll have MCT oil or a keto badge on the back of our label. It's just not on the front. I think even this says protein and MCT oil. This is a couple years old. We changed that to positive energy. Like what is super coffee? Super coffee is positive energy, right? And so, yes, I think there is a message there like, Kind of like strong opinions loosely held, right? Yeah. Like have where you want to go, but don't be afraid to change as the times change. Do you feel like you leave money on the table or exclude buyers by doing that? Like, do you feel like you're excluding the super healthy buyers? I don't think so. Because the label readers are the label readers. You know, they'll they'll read it on the back and see that it has, it checks all of their boxes. It's not as obvious. So like they're not going to be able to walk by the shelf and see that it has protein and MCT oil in it. They're going to see that it's got 10 grams of protein and zero sugar. And and like we're, we're putting new flavor cues, kind of like the, the birthday cake example. Yeah. Like we're coming out with a cinnamon roll and a, a, a blueberry muffin. And like they have really indulgent f- photos on the front. Yeah, and, I know. That's what sells me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think putting those cues on the packaging is enough to get people to try it. And one thing I also want to talk about is as we're talking about your journey, it sounds very linear. It sounds like we had this great idea and Bob's your uncle. We've got a half billion dollar company. Like we just worked hard. Obviously we know that's not the case. There's in every business, there are so many moments where you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done. And there's so many moments where you think I'm not going to get through this. This is the worst thing I've ever done. Why am I putting myself through this? Has there been moments where you thought you might fail or you might not make it through? Yeah, yesterday morning, last <laughs> week. No, it's it's hard. And I think that having a good product and good packaging is table stakes. You know, there's there's no such thing as a billion dollar idea anymore. It's it's really the execution. And we happen to pick an industry that is very low gross margin, low average order value. You know, we sell a bottle of coffee for a dollar sixty-five. Mm-hmm. After our cost of goods, we're making fifty cents on that thing. And you gotta sell a lot of coffee to make money. And it's very manual. It's hardware. You know, we're putting product on shelves in 50,000 stores every single week. So despite momentum and strong consumer demand and sentiment, it's still all about execution. A moment where it, it like... I think it's tough for us. We're not profitable, you know, so burning burning cash is always a scary thing. That's why we raise money from investors to continue to grow. And don't get me wrong, we're doing the right things. We're growing at the right rate and, and doing it intentionally. But you always second guess, like, what if we don't make money on this thing? You know, mm-hmm. what if the supply chain continues to get worse or or inflation continues to rise? You know, what does that mean for, for us in the future? But that's just na- the natural part of, of doing anything difficult. But how do you deal with that? So we we have a strong support system. My brothers and I talk about it. Like we hold hands on this stuff on a, on a daily basis, but we have an executive coach who we meet with twice a month. I see a therapist once a week. Mm-hmm. I think talking about it is is like bringing your fears into that awareness allows you to address them and kind of makes them less scary. And like we suffer more in imagination than we do in reality, right? Like in my head, I'm like, this shit is never going to work. This is so yeah. difficult. But then you start chipping away and doing things that you thought were going to be harder than they were. You just build up that confidence. You know, you start you start making progress each day. How does a typical day look for you right now? Because I imagine seven years ago, it was very different to how it looks now. Very different. Yes. So I'm not one of those guys who has like the same regimented routine every morning. I I, I typically wake up between 5.30 and 6.30. If if I have time in the morning, I'll, I'll get a workout in. I drink black coffee in the morning, not always super coffee. I'll have a super coffee at, at like 10 or 11. 
but I can't do caffeine after afternoon. It keeps me awake. So I get to the office usually at like 7.30. And then what I've done recently is I've shifted, I, I've dedicated days to different parts of the business. So Tuesday is my marketing day. Wednesday is my finance day. Because what was happening last year is like, on a random Tuesday, I'd have a finance call. I'd have an investor call. I'd have a marketing call. And from my brain, I was like jumping yeah. back and forth to all of these different things. So compartmentalizing that in in different departments where I can focus and, and sort of think creatively on Tuesdays and then think financially on Wednesdays has been super helpful for me. My job as, as CEO has, has really evolved from a doer to, to certainly a manager. And, and like I, I view my job in really five buckets is, is one, setting the vision with my brothers, being clear on where the company's going, aligning our team around that vision. Alignment is key. Like I need to make sure that every department is always aligned, hiring the best team to go achieve that vision. That's three empowering that team with the resources they need to do their jobs. That's four. And then the last thing is chief learning officer. You know, as this world changes, we can't get caught on our heels and, and it changes pretty fast, pretty frequently. So like we want to be trendsetters ra- rather than trend followers. Mm. But in those five responsibilities, I'm not really in charge of any projects. You know, like I'm not doing balancing the books. I'm not, I'm not coming up with the copy for, for marketing materials. Like we're in a fortunate position where we have amazing people to do that as long as they're aligned on where we're at. So you're like the captain of the ship. Yeah. And like making sure everyone's going in the same direction. Totally, totally. And and some nights I have nightmares that like Titanic, when the wave comes on, (laughs) I'm going to be in the the cockpit (laughs) with my brothers. (laughs) And so that's interesting that you talk about now, it's all about setting the vision and finding the right team that mm-hmm. are going to execute on the vision for you. Whereas when you're a early stage founder, it's like, I'm going to set the vision, I'm going to execute the vision, and I'm going to come Do back everything. and set the vision again. Totally. At what point in your business did things shift where you stopped executing so much and you started finding people that I'm sure are so much more experienced in these areas that can show the way? Yeah, I would say probably after we raised our Series A, we, we raised that and we raised 15 million in 2018, December of 2018. And that's really what's allowed us to go out and hire some of the best and brightest. The thing that we learned though, is some people like the, the, the team that got us from 5 million to 50 million might not be the right, might not have yeah. the right skill set from 50 to 500, you know, and that's been tough because the company has grown faster than some individuals. And you always have to ha- address those conversations when they happen. I think my brothers and I are a little bit soft and when it comes to compassion and, and we wait too long, but the writing's on the wall. You know, you, you see it happen. What How? is the writing? Yeah. Lack of awareness from, from individuals, right? Like not seeing, not seeing problems, not asking questions. Honestly, things that, that violate the values. When people aren't curious, like you can't learn what you think you already know. And when people stop asking those questions, that's a big red flag to me because they don't see the blind spots, you know, and it's tough. If somebody thinks they know everything, it's tough to show them what they don't, you know, and, and work begins to suffer from that. You know, when you don't know what you don't know, you begin to make mistakes. And the way you solve that is by asking questions. It appears to me like you have a really strong like growth mindset, like you're always looking to learn. I'm curious, being like such young founders, have you had like resistance from like your like chiefs like chief of marketing or like those positions like hang on you're you're not a good enough leader you don't have the experience why should I listen to you as the CEO yeah I think I think what we found is the more experience the the more experience that somebody comes with the more set in their ways they are and Mm. we've hired a couple people who have had 20-year careers at big corporations 
that molds you, you know, that, that sets, that sets a certain style within you. And it's only, it's a one, a one dimensional style. And on the flip side, like when you, when you hire somebody who's been at five different companies in five years, I think that there, there isn't enough style or conviction in, in, in what you do. So yeah, we've certainly like all of my direct reports are, are twice my age, which is tough, but I think what they see in us is low ego, curiosity, willingness to learn, right? And I mean, Steve Jobs said, we hire smart people so they can tell us what to do, right? Why would we hire somebody smart and just continue to do things the way that we do them? So it's a balance, you know, it's a balance. And, and I think breaking bad habits from, from big corporations has been my toughest battle over the, over the last year or two. I think like having a founder, a BCEO through this much of the company, taking it from naught to like say worth half a billion is actually pretty rare. A lot of founders end up stepping down and like giving the CEO spot to somebody else. Like how have you dealt with like any self-doubt that you've had? And like, how have you retained like, no, I'm the best person to like sit in this seat? Yeah, I think I think it comes back to alignment. You know, I'm not, I'm not the best person at digital marketing. I'm not the best person at creative design or finance or accounting. You know, I, I, I kind of stink at all of those things. But collectively, guiding people towards this North Star, bringing the right people around the table and ensuring that they can help get us there is, is my job as, as CEO. And, and because I'm not a specialist at anything, I think that is what's allowed me to stay in the seat so long. But also going back my, uh, to, to curiosity, like, always learning and evolving. You know, I'm a different person today than I was when we started seven years ago because you put in that work and that work is super uncomfortable. But our team sees that and and they're willing to step up and, and say, we're following you for, for whatever it is because we see how, how much you care and how much you effort you put into, to learning and evolving. It's so interesting. I feel like being on the entrepreneurial journey is the most personal development you'll ever yeah, get. For sure. like every single day you are faced to really look at yourself and look at all of those things. Do you have any practices in a, in a day that help ground you or get you clear on your vision or anything like that? Yeah. So I I think two two things that are in com- are common of all, all founders, I'm sure you guys feel this too, is imposter syndrome, like that self-doubt that you were just talking yeah. about. And then also this certain guilt that comes with not working, you know, and, and over the last couple of years, I've really prioritized vacation and time for myself, even s- doing stuff that I'd never do before. Like the other day at 12 PM, I went for a run, you know, and, and like that was bonkers to me two years ago. Like I can't be out of the office at 12 PM on, the, on a Tuesday. So I think prioritizing that self-care, taking a three-day weekend and not feeling bad about it, shutting my phone off and trusting that the team will pick up the slack. Yeah. What do you think has been that shift? Because this is actually a conversation that Natalie and I have a lot of, you know, we went through those years of hustling, like literally, like can't take a day off, like got to go, go, go. And and two, feeling that guilt from it. So what do you think has been the mindset shift for you around that? Because I agree with it. I think we're stronger when we're rested. Totally. I think starting to feel worn out, you know, starting to mm. feel that burnout. And I'm such a stubborn, like tough guy that, burnout could never happen to me. You know, like that's, that's, Mm -hmm. that burnout is a, is a decision. Burnout is a weakness. And, and like, I just thought that I would choose to never be burnt out, but it truly does catch up with you. And, and people warn you about it, you know, and until you actually feel it manifest as like physical symptoms, you don't, you don't think that it could happen to you. And, and I think that started to happen in 2020, once we started dealing with the pandemic and the social unrest and the political climate. And like, it's been hard, it's hard enough to build a business when times are good, but when times are are tricky and you layer in a pandemic and all of the, the shit that comes with that, it gets really hard. And 
I've been starting to prioritize my sleep. I learned that from you and Steven. Mm-hmm. Been starting to prioritize my my health and and doing things that I that just make me happy. Fun things. Just got a donkey. yeah we were talking about the donkey we love the donkey so speaking of that then and the guilt so let's say you take a three-day weekend or you go for a run at 12 p.m but your team is in the office how do you have you ever dealt with your team saying well you should be in the office or you shouldn't be doing anything like that or any guilt of them being there and you're not it's a great question so no, because our team, we, we have a very high performing culture and our team puts that a, a similar pressure on themselves. You know, okay. we have big goals. They want to work hard. And for that reason, we also have unlimited PTO, which is almost a curse because nobody takes it. So my brothers and I have to show that we're doing it right. And the, the team who I work most closely with, like my direct reports are like, oh, there goes Jim on a run. He's going to come back feeling good. You know, like this is good for us, right? Like he, he must be stressed. He's going out. He's going to come back feeling good. Same thing when I take a three-day weekend because inevitably like I, I, I no longer feel guilty on that day off, but that Monday morning when I come back, I feel so motivated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I got some work to catch up on now, you know, and, and that energy refuel is, is critical. How have your parents dealt with the journey that you guys have been on? Because I can imagine sometimes, you know, there's all different opinions. Like you might want to take the business one way and, you know, Jake or Jordan might be feeling something else. Like how have they dealt with having three sons who are all in a stressful, growing business? Yeah, it's, I mean, the journey has evolved because like over not only has the business evolved over the last few years, we've sort of grown up as young men, you know? So it's like just within the last year or two, we no longer see our parents as our parents. We kind of see them as our peers, which is like an interesting transformation for every young adult. Right. Mm -hmm. So in that, and not to mention like none of us, mom or dad, me and my brothers have experience managing a company or managing people of, of, of this size. So like they're in a little bit over their heads in terms of giving advice, but the values stay true. You know, like they always check in with us on how we are, are feeling, how we are treating other human beings. They're competitive as athletes. So like if, if we get double crossed by a supplier, a distributor or something, they're like, fuck them. You want me to go talk to them? I'm like, no, mom, I don't want you to go to New York City and talk to this guy. <laughs> Could you imagine if she did though? Oh my gosh. I would not want to be that guy. <laughs> One thing that I really admire about you, and it's so funny that this is such a value of the company is your energy. So you always seem to have such a high energy, such a high output. Like you really are such a high performer. How do you manage to have that much energy and sustain that, especially given how much pressure is on you every single day? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not easy. And and I think that some days I don't have that energy, you know, and, and I have to be gentle with myself and have some grace with myself when I don't, when I do feel off, you know, we're, we're all human. And I've had a rule really it started with fitness is like, when you got it, go. Cause not every day you're going to feel great. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be days where like I stumble into the gym and I just stretch for 20 minutes. and like, that's my workout. But on the rare occasion where I feel great, it's like, I got to go hard, you know? And, and the same thing applies at work. When I feel really good, I'm super productive. And then there's some other days where I just, I just don't have it. And like, those are the days where I got to focus on small wins. Like what can I achieve today? with this sort of unfocused mindset, like what are some small wins I can get? And then when I do have the energy, it's like focusing on the big stuff that moves the business forward. 
I think it's like accepting as well. I'm finding that like there's a roller coaster of energy. Like sometimes yeah. you're going to be like peak performance and you're going to be absolutely thriving. And then the other day it's like, yeah, do you know what? I need to take it a little bit more that is gentle pregnancy. on myself. That is definitely <laughs> pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> feeling oh, all those for things. Sure. You probably feel it 10 times. Yeah. But what you've sa- just said has really just reaffirmed in my mind how I'm feeling when you've got it go. Because before I got pregnant, I had so many boundaries around what times I work, taking my weekends off, rest, things like that. And then I got pregnant and all of a sudden I wasn't performing at the level I was anymore. And I'm like, I need to go for a nap at 4 p.m. or I need to take a three-day weekend, whatever it was. Hit second trimester. I know women are nodding along. All of a sudden I have this crazy energy. And for me, I'm like, I'm going to work late nights, weekends. Like when this energy is with me, you better believe my output's coming because probably in the next stage, it's not going to be there. And I actually think that is so true what you've said. And it and it kind of gives pe- people permission for when they are having that off day, maybe take the day. Totally. Maybe you'd be better to take the day and put in the extra output tomorrow. Totally. Totally. And I mean, there's been times where I've changed plans because I felt really good. You know, like right. I, just the other day, I canceled a dinner date with, with Allison. I was like, babe, I'm not going to make it. I feel great right now. And I stayed at the office until 8 p.m., which right. is like, that wasn't my plan for the day. That's not something I usually do. But it's like, if I have this rare energy and focus, let's let, let me apply it, you know? So speaking of Allison and relationships, we all know being ambitious entrepreneurs, plus relationship is not always the easiest dynamic, especially when you have a crazy work ethic. How have you found being able to show up in your personal relationships and still have that as a priority and find people that can support where you're going? Yeah, I think finding somebody whose values are aligned is is important, right? People who are interested generally in the same things that, that you are. And, and that's one piece. Clearly, like if you're not running a company, you, you don't really understand it. You know, I think that's why the three of us yeah. hit it off so much because we can empathize with each other about certain things. And Allison's not, she's not a founder or CEO, but she definitely has respect for it. And and where she she lacks in experience, she sort of makes up for in grace and understanding mm-hmm. and compassion. And for me lately, I've been like, my relationship with her has really been, has given me the ability to unplug and be there, you know? And, and that has been such a nice outlet for me where before, like when I was single, I would just come home thinking about everything that I did yeah. that day. And it was like, it was almost like tormenting me. And now that that's at like 6 or 7 p.m. when I sit down for dinner, it's like I'm there. And the stuff that I was dealing with a couple hours ago or 15 minutes ago is at the door. And and guess what? The work stops when you stop because tomorrow morning, that pile of shit is going to be right there for you to pick up where you left off. <laughs> I think it's really interesting as entrepreneurs, though. Like for me, like I always feel like work like the business is part of me it's like Mm -hmm. a very odd sensation like it's like when I was when I just had a job I would like leave work and I would forget about work yeah I would go on holiday and I would really switch off yeah whereas like now like I can switch off but then I'll have like creative ideas like I was literally (laughs) messaging you at 11 p.m last night like oh my god I just had this idea (laughs) and it's like it's like part of you and I, I don't necessarily relate to like always that it's work it's yeah. kind of just part of who yeah. I am now and I do think you're right like there has to be that balance and like learning to unplug and be present in the moment but I do think and when you have like this business that you've grown from the ground up there's like a different like energetic feeling around like when you do switch off and taking time off like it's not quite the same no. yeah I think that's what passion is too right like yeah. you think about it all the time because you're passionate about it and that's when people like I don't say I don't think you find your calling I think partially you create it yeah and people ask me about a work-life balance like 
this is life, you know, like there's not, it's not like work stops and life starts. It's like, we, we love this thing and I do it with my family. So like family vacation is basically a work trip, you know? And, and if I saw this as work or something that I had to do, I, I don't think I'd live a happy life. Actually, let's, let's just drop on that a second. Do you guys ban, like, let's say you go for a family dinner. You banning coffee, like conversation around super coffee, or are you like, oh no, that family dinner turns into a business meeting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not we're not doing performance reviews at, at, at dinner, but like we'll we'll talk about product launches or what we're excited for, or like dreaming about what comes next in terms of product launches and things like that. And and I mean, we share enough in common outside of business. We we often talk about sports or fitness or. Yeah. or like whatever that the sort of hot topic is. So, but yeah, inevitably, inevitably every conversation comes back to, to super coffee in some, some regard. I want to touch on the idea of the journey. So a lot of entrepreneurs who have built companies and sold them reflect on the day that they sold or we you know people, maybe that win Olympic medals, the day that they won it, it was sometimes the worst day of their life because they, they're like, well, what's next? What do I do now? It was all about the journey. But a lot of people don't realize it's about the journey until they're out of the journey. Mm. Do you have moments where you have to remind yourself that it's about the journey? Because I know we do constantly. We need to remind ourselves like, this is the good thing. This yeah. is the good stuff. How do you think about the journey and, and ultimately the exit to the journey? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think it's, it's like reframing, right? It's not that I have to do this. It's that I get to do this. Right. And uh, we went for a walk around the lake this morning, me and my brother and, and Jesse Itzler, Sarah, Sarah Blakely's husband. Casual. And, you know, I, I mean, saw that. Yeah. Jesse, I mean, he's <laughs> awesome. He's, he was in town. He hit us up and we were walking around a construction site. It was six 30 in the morning and it was 30 degrees out and the construction workers were there hammering nails, building an elevator, doing what they were doing. And Jesse said to us, he was like, just think a hundred million people go to work and do that every day. Mm -hmm. Like when you guys are coming up with marketing ideas, when you're building businesses, when you're traveling the country, building your brand, remember these guys, right? Remember, remember right. the work that they have to do. So I think it's all about reframing and, and perspective. And, and for us reminding ourselves that like, we're so lucky that we get to deal with these problems is, is awesome. And I mean, there is an insecurity, like on paper, we have a $500 million company, but from a liquidity perspective, like I'm broke. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, and, and it's not about the journey. It's not about the, the cash for us. Like if we execute on the right level, it'd be life-changing money for me and my brothers, but we still have a lot of wood to chop before, before we get to that point. I also yeah. just want to like draw listeners' attention to that language switch you just made because I used to be very much like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. And reframing that to I get to do this mm -hmm. or I want to do this, like that is such a such a mindset shift for everyone because I think sometimes like when you are building something or you are working hard, there becomes this like, oh my goodness, I'm always late doing something and now I have to add this in and all these pieces where it's like, oh, I actually get to stay a little bit longer and work on this and I have that option to do things. And giving yourself that grace and that language change has really been a game changer for me and like, you know, making sure my nervous system is calmer, allowing me to enjoy the journey that a little bit more versus like feeling like the pressure all the time. Totally. Totally. Like today, for instance, I was like, damn it, I have to go on this podcast. Oh, like, Wait a second. I love Natalie and Danielle. I get to do this. Hang out with us. And just, just when you mentioned Jesse, so one thing that you have mentioned a lot is mentors and people around you that have given advice, whether it be investors, 
people that have become friends. Obviously, you had you have JLo and A-Rod invest in your company. You're, you're surrounded by a lot of people that generally people look at and think, oh, they've made it. What have you learned being around people like that? What have they taught you? So let's use A-Rod as an example. He, he's so curious. I mean, he he hit the pinnacle of his career in baseball, one of the best baseball players of all time. And that doesn't necessarily translate to business. So he's now a student of the game, you know, and he's surrounded himself with mentors, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, like people like that he has access to. So he want, he's learning. He wants to now be the best in business. And what I thought was really cool about him is given all that he's accomplished in his career, he would, he still asks us questions about our business and mm. he's not afraid. Like when, when they invested, I was explaining to him the terms of the deal and the liquidation preference and like some technical finance stuff. And he was like, whoa, 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 what does that mean? Right. And he could have said, oh yeah, sure. Like my guys <laughs> will deal with that. And I think that curiosity is key. Jesse and Sarah, on the other hand, again, two business, just badasses. Like they've, they've both, they're both amazing leaders in their own right. They've taught us balance, you know, and, and, and Jesse wants to be successful, not only in business, but in family and in friendships. He wants to create wealth for those around him. I think that balance is super important. The people that we've, we've gotten to know, the most successful people we've gotten to know are good at multiple things in their lives, right? They're not just good at business or, or on the flip side, the people who are just good at business probably have broken relationships, you know, mm-hmm. and they probably aren't happy when they go home with their billions of dollars in the bank account. So I think that balance has been a critical piece from everybody we've, we've got to learn from. I love that you shared that. I think that's really important. Like, you know, because I am name dropping, but I had Tony Robbins on the podcast the other day and he was saying the same thing. He was like, literally have like work with like billionaires. They've got so much money, but they're really freaking unhappy because they don't have that balance in their life. They haven't looked. He was like, your quality of your life is only as good as your quality of your emotions. Mm -hmm. And your emotions are like reflective of the relationships that you hold, whether it's friendship or business or like lifetime partners, any of that. And I think that's a really important rewire like on this journey like I know there's a lot of ambitious women listening to this like oh my goodness I'm going to be happy and successful when I make this much or have this much in the bank account but it's really not about that it's about showing up enjoying the things that you do on a daily basis with people that you love to work with I know like I on this journey with you that makes me so happy you know and the people that we get to work with that's what makes me happy on a daily basis and I think not losing sight of that when you're on this journey is really important. Absolutely. And and it's so, I'm, my brothers and I talked about this yesterday. Since since we're in Texas right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a country song. Luke Combs just came out with a new song called Doing This. And it, it said, if I wasn't doing this, I'd still be doing this, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, if I wasn't on stage in front of a million people on Friday nights, I'd be playing at a bar with a glass of whiskey and my buddies, you know? And, yeah. and I think for us on this journey, we we are just like that, right? We need this. We need this type of stimulation, this type of challenge, this type of opportunity. So it's not a payday at the end of it. You know, like if I wasn't doing this, I'd be I'd be filling my day with the same amount of stress, but probably like coaching high school football or yeah. teaching a class, you know? So I, I think that it, it all comes back to that reframe, you know? If you were to like talk to your 19, 20, 21 year old self, what is the piece of advice that you would give? I had the same question. I was like, that's the question I want to ask him. Y'all are (laughs) on the same page. I like that. It's expected from you too. (laughs) I would say you are the right guy for the job. 
you know, because when you're when you're just getting started, one as a 19 year old, like you have nothing, you you don't know anything about this world, you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, and then you look up at people who are building cool things, like we, Tom Billy at Quest Bar was doing it when we were just getting started, and we're like, damn, that guy's got something that we don't have, right? And Seth Goldman who sold Honest Tea to Coca Cola, like, geez, he must be way smarter than we are, and and you tell yourself these stories, and then you start doing it. And you, you you make progress every day, you know, carry small stones. That's how you move a mountain. And looking back, it's like, dang, those are just normal guys. And, yeah. and Sarah Blakely is just a normal woman. You know, these are, these are normal people that come from the same places that we come from. They have the same skill sets that we have. So I just wish I, I believed in myself earlier on in the journey. And still today I have that imposter syndrome. So I constantly reminding myself, like, you are the right person to do this. If you had believed in yourself more at the beginning of that journey, what would you have done differently? Oh boy. I think we made a lot of mistakes. That's such a tough question, right? Cause like we wouldn't be here without yeah. all the mistakes that, that no regrets. Made. Right? Yeah. No mm-hmm. regrets. I think I would have put more faith in, in our judgment as leaders. You know, like we always thought that we needed more help than we probably did. It's like, yeah. this person mm-hmm. has a great background. We need to go hire this person at all costs, right? We cannot manufacture our product if we don't sign this terrible contract with this amazing manufacturer, right? And now today, like we're trying to unwind some of those hasty decisions that we made when we were a bit more insecure. I actually have heard this a lot from founders, young founders particularly, where they take advice from people that they've looked up to or have more experience than them, but not necessarily as founders. Sometimes like the advisors that come with VC firms, et cetera, and, you know, feeling like, actually, I wish I'd followed my gut as the founder being like, I know they give me this advice and they might have a bit more experience than me, but they don't have experience running this company. Totally. And like just allowing yourself that freedom and that ability to say, no, I hear you. I take on that advice, but actually I feel like in my gut instinct is to go this path because I'm building this company. And I think giving yourself that power actually is really important. I know we've had lots of advice over the years and sometimes we've followed that and it hasn't taken us down the best track. Mm-hmm. And when we've kind mm-hmm. of like tapped into each other and like, let's just block out all the noise. Like what do we feel in our guts is the right thing to do? That's when we make the most moves. Totally. Yeah. And I think as founders, it's our responsibility to be the filter, right? Like yeah. let's go collect yeah. as much advice from people who have come before us, but their journey is different than ours, you know, and we could take lessons and, and sort of cautionary tales from them, but we're writing our own story. You know, the way that Honest T did it is very different than how we're doing it. And, and I mean, that's just how it goes. Like the, the world is different. It requires a different approach than it did five years ago. You know what reflection I took from you sharing lessons of mentors and your experience too is, you know, you hear all this advice of, you know, the hustle culture is dead and yada, yada, yada balances the thing. What I really realized from speaking to people like you and really successful people is they all have this incredible work ethic that they're willing to put into every area of their life. Mm -hmm. So yes, they have the balance in that they might work you know, nine hours and then go home for dinner. But they put that work, I think, into both things. So when they're at work, they're at work. They're not distracted. They're not Mm -hmm. wasting time. They're not sitting wallowing in what went wrong. Mm -hmm. Or when they're at the dinner table, they're not sitting there, you know, on their phones, not present. They are there. Mm -hmm. And and it's the same work ethic. Do you relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. I think focus is critical. Like be, be where your feet are. It's, it's not always easy. Like that takes reps too. You know, Mm -hmm. like when this thing goes off, I want to check it. But like, kind of like I said earlier, the work's going to be there tomorrow. You know, do I really have to reply to this email at nine o'clock at night? 
I don't think so. Like, and and twenty six or twenty seven year old Jimmy would be like, I got to get back to him. I have five minutes. You know, he hit me up at eleven p.m. I got to get back. And there's just not that much urgency. You know, people don't care as as much as you do. And and I think the reality is like everybody is just a text message or a phone call away. That doesn't mean you're at their beck and call, right? Like right. when somebody texts me. It's not my, like, they don't deserve a response right away, you know? And, and obviously if I'm available, if I'm not doing something, I'll, I'll get back to them. But once, like a couple of years ago, I'd get a text message and be like, oh shit, I have to reply right now. Yeah. Be way of fear. Yeah. Great quote. Yeah. And that's a really good one to live by. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been amazing. We definitely just pushed you into giving us a little discount. Are you, oh yeah. What code can <laughs> we set it up. Go Let's see. go. Boss Babe 20. Check it out. We got a bunch of new products on the website. We got plant-based for those who are plant-based. We got ground coffee, K-cups, whatever you guys like. Check it out. It's delicious, you guys. You're not going to regret it. What's your favorite? If someone's going to oh, yeah. start, they've never experienced super coffee before. What's the one product or flavor that they should start with? The original dorm room coffee is our mocha super coffee. It's okay. been our bestseller for seven years. That's the lead horse. And then let that be your your gateway drug into trying new stuff at super coffee. <laughs> yeah. That was my gateway and then got me obsessed on the creamer. Oh, yeah. So maybe oh, throw some creamer good. in the cart when you get it. Yeah, maybe a little French vanilla creamer. Yeah, that is That's amazing. Is that the purple? Nice. That's light blue. Purple light blue. sweet cream. That okay, one's good. Okay, sweet cream. That's my favorite yeah. creamer. Okay, I love it. Jimmy, where can everyone find you? Find super coffee? Yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best for resharing stuff. Jimmy DeSico, uh, Jimmy DeSico5 on Instagram. But hit us up, you know, hit, hit me up if you guys have questions. I'm, I'm happy to, to share any any questions with your, with your listeners. We love this stuff. You know, this is our life. So I'm happy to, to share lessons along the way. Well, thank you for coming on and being so open about your journey. I know that loads of people are going to have taken a ton of notes as well. So thank you. Always good hanging out with you guys. Thank you both. this episode we would love it if you subscribed and left us a review let us know what you enjoyed what your main takeaways were and who you'd like to see appear on the show as a special thanks we'll send you a copy of our boss Baby 25 now this is an awesome resource it's the 25 essential things that you need for personal and professional growth we've included everything from must-have products to books to rituals this guide literally covers it all and i know you're going to love it so if you want your copy, simply leave us a review and then send a screenshot of your review to podcast at bossbabe.com. 